Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> What's up, y'all? It's Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Happy Sunday. I really appreciate you listening, whoever you are. Um, so this is my weekly Night Below recap show, but before I get started, I want to go ahead and mention, um, you know, you've probably heard about James Smith's passing from the Dreams of Mythic Fantasy blog. Just really a legendary OSR blogger, though, for years and years and years. And I'm going to be highlighting and talking about James um, during the Hump Day blogorama this week. I thought that was fitting because James was always awesome to me and was a big inspiration to me um, in doing that show. But I wanted to go ahead and mention now that I saw that James's family had put up on the Dreams of Mythic Fantasy blog that they are raising money for his funeral expenses. And they're only trying to raise $700, which to me, you know, given all that James did to back people's, to point people to their Kickstarters, to their products for sale to everything everybody was doing to make money, I think that that goal is something that we should just absolutely decimate and crush into the dust. So even if you can only give a dollar, um, that will help. Because I don't know, I mean, I don't know what your life experience is if you're out there listening. But everybody's going to go through this stuff if you haven't already. And the last thing that you want to be th- worried about in, in times like this is money. That's just, unfortunately, though, it is how life is. But even if it's a dollar, it's going to help. So you give what you can. And um, it's uh, paypal.me forward slash James Smith memory paypal.me forward slash James Smith memory. And now this is something that even if you're listening to this a week after my release date, even if it's after the funeral, whatever, they're going to have a lot of costs they haven't even thought about yet. He had a son, you know, he's raising up playing D and D and RPGs, you know? And so whether you're hearing this down the line or whatever, they're going to have ongoing costs that they would need help with. So if you appreciated James, if you had any kind of inkling of a appreciation for the hours and hours of work that he put in supporting other people and you can make it happen, time to step up and support him a little bit i really encourage you to do so and um whether you can or not share it on social media just take that dreams of mythic fantasy blog post help support james family share it share the paypal link whatever so anyway because you know what james would be doing it for someone else there's no doubt in my mind so all right so I'm running the Night Below 2E box set. It was like, one, you know, it's this massive three book, you know, dozens and dozens of handouts, maps, and everything. One of these 
huge box sets TSR did, the likes we'll probably never see again. Probably help bankrupt them, you know, uh, eventually stuff like this, but so that's what I talk about on Sundays. If you're interested in getting caught up, cause I know how it can be trying to jump in on a recap show and it's like, you feel like you've missed a lot and you have no bearing over where you are. Well, what I'm doing is every few episodes, I'm going to, um, give a little recap of the campaign up to date, you know, just enough to where, what, what you need to know. And so last week's show, that is the night below session, Frothcast number 35, uh, night below session recap, uh, for April 7th, 2019. So if you're listening to this and want to go ahead and just get completely caught up, you can really just go back to last week's episode and check that out. And it's got the whole session, you know, the whole campaign up to date there. So that'll be a a good spot for you to just jump in. You just only have to go back one week and, um, and you'll, you'll kind of have a, maybe a greater appreciation for what I'm talking about. I do try to give background as I'm talking about it, but if you're, you know, don't know what the heck is happening and want to, want to start uh, joining in, listening to these, uh, going back to the Frothcast 35 night below session recap, uh, four, seven, 19 is a good way to do it. So if y'all remember, Last session, the party had returned to the caves, this evil cave where Father Marcos had, you know, gotten under the influence of that evil, handling the uh, artifacts and everything. And if you remember, they had also enlisted the help of uh, Four Men at Arms from Lord Palfrey. And then the wet behind the ears, naive son, wannabe adventurer, Lintern Palfrey. Literally dropped in on the party as they were entering the cave, falling, uh, falling onto his derriere um, as they were kind of rappelling down to get into the the uh, into the cave. So the party's got four um, new men at arms as well as Lintern Palfrey trying to tag along. So we had a few players unable to make it. Uh, the player that plays Ariel was still helping a family member move and was unable to make it back in time. Um, the player that plays Cass, she was going to be at least an hour late every other week or so. She kind of has to work late and so doesn't show up at the very, you know, kind of shows up late. And um, Taryn, the ranger, um, he's still doing his stuff helping defend the country. So uh, he'll be back sometime. Uh, hopefully next week. I thought he might be back this week, but hopefully he'll be back next week. But with all the the henchmen and uh, they they had more than enough to play and and push further into the cave. So last time, <clears throat> well, the other thing I'll mention is I don't think I ran a great session last night. Um, I think you got to be honest with yourself as a as a GM. You know, sometimes you're on your game, sometimes you're not. It wasn't like a complete and total disaster or anything like that, but I just wasn't at my best. And part of that is something I just can't be, um, can't be controlled. Wasn't my fault. I, I, I just kind of the, the inkling of a headache at the start of the session. And by the end of it, I had a full blown headache. Um, it didn't help that I've got, I run this, this game on roll 20 and I've got, 
I mean, I deliberately didn't buy the bottom of the line head headset, but it's not the top of the line either. And I don't know if I've just got a big bulbous head or <laughs> probably, <laughs> uh, but it's just not super comfortable. And the last few sessions in particular, it just starts to irritate me after a few hours. And it just kind of, you know, it's kind of like kids in the hall crushing your head. It's crushing my head. So I had this mild kind of discomfort beginning the session. And by the end of it, I just really wasn't feeling well. So anytime you're not Nobody's going to be able to GM a great game, I don't think, with a headache. Uh, and then part of it is, well, we'll get to it as we go, but I think self-reflection as a GM is obviously really, really important when you look back at it, because that's how you improve and get better. And I don't believe in anybody being these perfect GMs or, you know, that have all the answers and can hand out DM tips like they're the gods of GMing. I'm always suspicious of people like that <laughs> because I just don't believe in it. You know, you can always improve and no one's ever perfect and no one ever even is close to perfect. And a lot of these things people throw out as DM tips and stuff like that. They forget, you know, it's easy to say it when you're not playing, but then when you're in the middle of playing, it's, it's a lot harder to, you know, do all these perfect steps and stuff like that. I think most people will know what I mean when I say that. So, so we'll talk about a little bit about what I didn't do well. And like I said, it wasn't a disaster. It was just one where you walked away just saying, eh, I wasn't at my best. And part of that, like I said, was a headache, but so the, the party was going to push further into the caves. And the last things that happened last session was they had rooted out three clerics, three evil clerics from this one chamber, but one had gotten away. And that evil cleric had ran down the hallway into the darkness. And then they heard this loud gong sound, bong, bong. And then a lot of movement, foot traffic, like tons of foot trampling and kind of scratchy foot trampling and stuff. So the party listened and, and, but the, the the footsteps didn't get closer. It was just as though they were moving somewhere down the hallway, but didn't get closer. And then it was silence again. So the party, you know, kind of crept forward to look at what was going on and found this massive, you know, well-appointed kind of temple-like chamber. And in there, first of all, there was this huge bell that was the gonging sound. And then like rows of pews, like there was some evil worship going on in there. This huge throne with other chairs on this dais. Um, these candelabras with black candles that lit up as they went in. And this strange kind of uh, purple, greenish, yellowish, swirling, um, you know, kind of swirling just vision uh, against the one of the walls it's just kind of moving colors and uh this with this evil vibe and inside the room there's a huge phalanx basically of um, i don't think i had the entire force in there because they had killed some of them but something like 12 zombies and 16 skeletons something like that just a, a ton of of undead now 
this is where it starts to get into what I could have done better. Cause I knew, I knew that this one was going to be just one of these huge combats and then it was going to take a while and that it was going to be a lot of tracking, right? Cause if you're a DM and you're running like whatever, 28 monsters against the party, you know, you just, you just gotta, you know, tighten up your belt buckle and, and, and get ready. Um, and I wasn't worried. I definitely wasn't worried about the game balance because with two clerics and these not being super high level, high powered undead, I knew a lot of them were going to get, get turned from the get go. And, but still, um, you know, in combat, I like to give good flavorful descriptions and make it exciting and try to, you know, make it more than just a roll, I mess, a roll, I hit, a roll, I mess, that one dies, a roll, you know. So I try to give flavorful descriptions of what happens when there's something getting killed and that, that this, this, that, and the other. But it gets really hard sometimes to do that. This is something I can get better on when you're tracking 28 monsters and all the party and, and all that. So I think what I could have done better is maybe just kind of taking a deep breath and not tried to rush it. I don't know if I really was rushing it, but I was a little bit harried and a little bit just kind of so focused on the tracking and and this, that, and the other, um, that I could have probably done a better job being more descriptive and everything. And part of that's just slowing down and just enjoying it and not thinking about, you know, getting through it or, or whatever. And I think maybe the little headache or maybe I was a little tired too, that, that probably didn't help with it. And I don't think I did an awful job. There were some cool things that happened, like Xanril got a crit on somebody on a skeleton with his mace. So I had it knock the head off the skeleton and then go into the chest of another skeleton and explode it into, um, you know, bones and then follow that, go all the way to a, a zombie and go through its stomach and kill the zombie. So there was some awesome crits and, and, uh, despite turning uh, a good portion of them, the party was getting chewed up. Uh, they were just kind of overwhelmed. There were so many of them. A couple of the new men at arms just died right from the get go. And then Lantern Palfrey, the wet behind the ears son of um, Lord Palfrey, ran in. You know, it's now's my chance to help. Something like that. <laughs> Famous last words because he ran in and then a zombie just got a hold of him critted on him and uh, just ate his brains right there in front of everybody. So the whole little intern palfrey that they were going to, you know, some of them at least th thought they would try to protect. Now they realize they're going to have to answer to Lord Palfrey um, about, you know, his son, you know, son dying. We'll get to that in a more a little bit. So the party, you know, was fighting valiantly, but like I said, they were getting chewed up both figuratively and literally. And so they decided at one point to retreat and they retreated back to the evil cleric chambers that they had encountered before. And the, uh, the, the remaining undead just 
continued to guard the room. And so the party went back and kind of healed themselves a little bit and stuff like that. And at this point, my headache's really creeping on me. And I've kind of just almost done with combat because it'd been, it it took a while. I mean, people will talk about third edition and fourth edition and fifth edition, how the combat can kind of drag or take a while. And this didn't feel like it was dragging. It was just taking a while, you know, because you go through round after round and some people miss and, you know, and then and there's so many creatures that it just takes a while. And, um, so by the time we were going back, they're going back to it. I was kind of done with it. Um, I didn't feel like adjudicating everything perfectly at that point. So when they turn, when they turn the undead again, I probably shouldn't have let them try to turn them again, but I went ahead and did. And then I didn't really fool with Fool with it, I just let them turn them into the corner and then kind of douse them in flames and burn the rest of them. So I could have, it's not that I was trying to take it easy on anybody, it's that I was just kind of done with it. I don't know if anybody's been there. I was just, uh, been, uh, you know, knows what I mean, but I was just kind of done with it at that point. And, and as far as that combat went, the other thing I did is I, I wasn't thinking clearly on some of the, the party hadn't really previously used a lot of flaming oil and stuff and puck is this whole shtick at this point has been flaming oil and so i was definitely being pretty liberal with allowing the use of that and and the power level of that um which i'll have to just kind of throttle back a little bit next session a couple of just rules i just didn't do right i was letting it burn for three rounds when it's really two and then just kind of you know it's, it's a little flask of oil. It's not a, you know, hand grenade. It's not, uh, but I'll talk with, with, with Pug about that a little bit and just kind of just go back over, um, how that works. But for this, it was fine. I mean, you do want it to be cinematic too. And there's something great about, you know, flaming undead running around and burning as all this hell's breaking loose. So it wasn't a huge deal at all it's just you know added that to the headache and just feeling like you're having to just track everything and it just didn't amount up to very pleasurable and i for me and i didn't and i know that i didn't present it as well as i probably could have but i don't know they might not even have noticed anything i'm saying or maybe they did i don't know everybody seemed to have fun but. so anyway the party from there um the the swirling colors against the wall kind of affected them and they all had to roll saving throws versus spells and those that failed were momentarily possessed and started chanting this evil uh, this this evil chant this evil kind of hymn and so i had them all kind of try to come up with their own on the spot so that was kind of fun and they're you know coming up with little evil chants and stuff to, you know, what their characters would say. And so that was kind of funny. Um, kind of a nice little improvisational aside. Um, it was a good way to break up at least, you know, just repeated attack rolls, attack rolls to have a little, um, something like that to break it up was good. And then, uh, as they began chanting, a couple of ghouls came out from behind a 
a curtain, and uh, they were quickly turned, but uh, they didn't get the initiative. If they had, they could have, you know, ghouls have that, that great claw-claw bite deal going on with the paralyzation, and so they can really mess somebody up if they get a hold of them. Um, but it wasn't meant to be. And so the party began to kind of go behind this little curtain area. There's like this well-appointed waiting area with really nice furniture leading back to the uh, the main cleric's bedroom. And my dog needs me to take her out real quick. Be right back. So the party was moving into the kind of the inner sanctum behind the curtain of this temple where this evil cleric's um, living quarters were. Now, two of the henchmen were dead, Lintern Palfrey, brain-eaten, um, and one of the other one of the other four henchmen uh, blew his morale check and just kind of seen enough. It was like, you know, I got a family. Zombies is a little much for me, and he took off. So there's just one henchman left, and this one... I just decided it was just really money motivated and just wanted riches. And so that's what really made him want to stick around. And boy, did they find riches. You know, I will, uh, a lot of people like to do alternate experience point rewards and everything. I like it old school, just XP for killing creatures and for treasure. And other people have talked about this, how your XP reward system will influence the play of the characters. It's kind of like a sales bonus for salespeople. They're going to do what they get rewarded for. And I like my D&D pretty traditional as far as killing things and getting treasure. So... It's no wonder that that is what I reward. <laughs> and you'll end up with some sessions where the XP rewards will be very meager. And then you'll end up with huge paydays as well. And this session was a huge payday. Kind of feel bad for the players that didn't make it. Because the party found all these you know, gems and loot of all kinds, huge gems, black, red, and gold, and, you know, thousands and thousands of XP for this session. So I've got the feeling that some of the third levels at least are going to level up. Um, there'll be some leveling up. I'm sure that'll happen. And in first edition, you're supposed to go and train and do all this to level up. And have like a tax, a gold tax to pay for that. And even though it's really abstract, I don't try to explain it in game other than that's your basic upkeep or something like that. But I just charge 500 a previous level to level up to the next level. So it is a way to keep the party. The thing I like about it, it's a way to keep the party motivated to keep getting gold and to not just sit still, you know, to get, to level up, to get further, they're going to have to have some, some gold. And so I just do 500 per previous level. So to go from three to four, you're going to need 1500 gold. 
you know, I don't hold back to where it makes it difficult for them. It's just that they're never going to be, they're always going to have to be finding more, you know, to, 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 to push forward. I don't know if some people like that really, but that's how I, I like it. At least works for me. So huge payday. They, and the side, the, the, the evil clerics room, there's a little bit of a feminine touch in there. Very dark, however, but, um, they, they get the feeling it might be one of the rooms of one of the evil clerics, uh, the, the female evil clerics that had, had fled from them before escaped their clutches when they were, um, attacking Broken Spire Keep and the Garlstone Mines. And one of the things they find is a, another half of this key that they had found before. At Broken Spire Keep, they found a key that was large, ornate, with an ivory handle, and was almost like split in half, like half of a puzzle piece. And it goes to a lock that they have not yet found, but that is huge, you know, over the size of a fist, the keyhole. And so they found the second half of that key here. And so clicking them together makes this huge ivory, um, ivory handled key. And they found some other stuff, a clerical scroll, um, a potion of a clear audience, which is one of those, you know, gotta be the right situation for it, but very cool, um, potion or, or spell you can hear what's going on somewhere as long as you have that place in your mind and i think stuff like that is awesome and so i haven't tallied it up yet but they, they're gonna have a huge bunch of xp so i'm sure they're happy about that and now the once this was all done and the, the loot was kind of being counted, the last of the henchmen decided, well, I got what I came for. I got enough to support my family and wanted to just take off with some of the money. And Cyril the Assassin, who was the only evil character in the party, didn't like that and was just going to try to kill him right there. Right there and then for deserting the party. Some of the other characters intervened a little bit. And this is kind of part of why the session wasn't super great either. I don't know if everybody was feeling their best either. Because sometimes there could be... I don't expect everybody to be like a voice actor or some of these shows. You know? And give incredible speeches and soliloquies and... Um, and they're usually engaged. But I mean, we're playing on... Roll 20, I don't know. They could be staring at their phones through half of it, and I wouldn't know. Um, but I don't I don't know if everybody was 100% into it or engaged, where there were some points where it was just a little bit of a silence of trying to decide what to do, and nobody seemed 100% up to, you know, helping drive the party the whole time. But... None of the good players really made much of an effort to stop Cyril, the assassin, from threatening this guy. And eventually one of the clerics did say something about it. And so Cyril said they had found in the 
the cleric, the evil cleric's chambers, this demon head figurine, this demon, you know, little demon statue, and had a couple gems in the eyes. And the party had detected evil on it, could see an evil aura, and, and didn't want to mess with it. And Cyril said, "Well, the you know, you can have the demon statue <laughs> to the henchman." It's like, all right, you can have the, and by the way, leave your plate armor. So the, the henchman strips down into, uh, like I'm picturing the henchman with like a hillbilly miner or something in a wild west movie, you know, just in this you know red pajamas, red long underwear or something goes and grabs a demon statue. And the, of course the demon statue, if you try to grab it, it'll fall on you. So it falls on the henchman. And almost kills him, so now he's down to just one hit point in his long underwear with his demon statue just runs out of the place. And Cyril even then made a half-hearted attempt to track the henchman down. <laughs> I would never want to run a, 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 an all-evil game or a game that's got everybody evil. It's just not interesting to me. But it is a little fun, I have to admit, to have one party member that's evil. Um, you know, that's self-centered, um, has sort of a code that they go by, but doesn't ultimately doesn't give a flip about anybody else. Um, doesn't care what they have to do to meet their goals. And it just, it does, like I say, I wouldn't want a whole party like that, but uh, one like that does I admit add some humor and fun to the to the proceedings from time to time and and um so we still had some time left that probably would have been a great time to to end the session but I people make their time to to play and it's a, only once a week and and so even though that felt like a good stopping point there was still some time left so I just decided we keep going further and so the party started deciding what to do with the bodies of the henchmen and in, in particular Lintern Palfrey, the son of Lord Palfrey. And even if they were selfish, motivated only by money or motivated by good, whatever, they, they did decide that they needed to at least try to take Lintern's body back, whether to get rewarded from Lord Palfrey or chided. Um, who knows? They don't know, but they thought it was important to kind of pick up the pieces Oh man, pick up the various pieces of lantern and, uh, and get them out of there. But first they decided to explore the other areas of the cave that they hadn't yet. And so there was this door that led down stairways down, uh, stairway down into darkness. And they, so they began to explore that. And by this time I had a full blown headache and this is where I really could have done a lot better. Maybe I should have called it, but I didn't. I just pushed through. But um, so they, they began to explore this other kind of sub cavern area of the, the cave. And they came upon this torture chamber where, where there was all these implements of torture, real grisly racks and Iron Maidens and this, that, and the other. And several chairs set up in there as if some, someone had. You know, you could have an audience in there to watch the torture. And there's this big kind of hulking oaf, uh, like sloth from the Goonies type in there. That's just eating, you know, raw meat. Raw human meat off of a 
plate and didn't really hear them because Cyril the Assassin had sneaked up. And I rolled Cyril's move silently roll and, and made it. So Cyril, Cyril is already practically like a ninja, you know. So Cyril just sneaked right up, snuck right up. And we hadn't really used the Assassin's Assassinate ability until then. Because there, it takes kind of a situation... In first edition, the, the assassins have an assassinate ability, and it's based on the level of the assassin and the level of the targeted victim. And as long as they're completely unseen and silent, they have a chance of just flat out killing somebody. Forget about attacks and backstabs or any of that. Just a straight up kill. And so Cyril... My role was dead silent. Cyril got right up behind this uh, torturer as they're eating and then just straight up took this uh, um, rake that they've got. <laughs> That's a story for another time, but they've had this rake that has come in handy in all these situations. It's like it's almost like a member of the party. They lost one rake and then ended up getting another like there was this time i guess i'll just tell one of the stories about the rake they they had this rake and cyril uh, cyril was carrying it and cyril had been turned invisible and triggered this trap outside broken spire keep where it was like a snare trap that picked cyril up and i believe it was that's how it was but it was like a trap and so it ended up springing up and Cyril got loose, but it was just this, this rake by itself, you know, cause Cyril was invisible. And so the, the guards could just see this like floating rake, <coughs> this like eerie floating ghostly rake out in the, out in the field. I probably didn't do a very good job explaining that, but. They've used the rake as a 10-foot pole, as a weapon. It's it's a damn good rake. And so this rake is the one that Cyril used to assassinate and just kind of put the rake right through the neck. So they found just a few, you know, odds and ends and a bracelet with, the, with that. and But it was definitely a grisly scene. And continued to explore a little bit and found a cell. Um, in the sub chambers and inside the cell was an NPC from far earlier in the campaign. So only Cyril would have ever met this NPC. The others wouldn't have known who it was, but back when they early on in the campaign, it's set up very sandboxy and you're not led by the nose on exactly what to do. And there's, all these kind of places it could go, things that would happen, encounters, and that, this, that, and the other. And Lord Carmen from Melbourne had hired them at one point to deliver supplies down the river. The river's called the Churnet River. And it, it's kind of slow moving in most places. But they, you know, take supplies on this barge to, to Thurmaster on the other side of uh, the Heronshire. 
and the party encountered some Nixies on the river. I love Nixies, by the way. I love, I don't know how they are. I haven't really read how they are in later editions. I'm sure 5e has them. I don't know how they're done, but in first edition and earlier, they've got this unique motivation to enslave PCs for one year, you know, not a year and a half, not six months for a year. And they encountered some Nixies on the river that had captured some of the party and they had to go through this underground cavern and underwater cavern to, to free them. And anyway, a couple of guards that Lord Carmen had sent on the barge with them for the delivery had gotten captured. I think one was killed and this one, um, had survived, but was going to return to Milburn to his family but never made it. And the party never knew what happened to him. I don't know if they just forgot about him or assumed that he was kidnapped, but they, they heard that he never made it back. And that was kind of the end of it. And that was something like nine months ago or, or maybe more in, in real lifetime. And he's here. Um, he's been here the whole time in this cell. And so he's malnourished and got sores all over his body and just disgusting and, um, tells them, about how he's been tortured, how others have been tortured, but that he's seen Sam Hayes recently, who was the cleric that was abducted from Milburn, that they tracked to the Garlstone Mines, that then disappeared when the evil cleric uh, fled the climactic battle there. And so it had seen Sam Hayes recently, noted that it seemed like the captors treated the magic users and um, clerics, you know, spellcasters better than they did the others and the others were being tortured and that anybody else not, you know, that was in the cell with them had not come back and uh, was just in wretched shape. And uh, so Father Marcos healed him and he's really thankful for that obviously because he'd been tortured and uh, in a cell for i think it's probably a month and a half in game time now at least weeks so that is where we kind of ended the session then i just finally couldn't couldn't focus or do any more with it um and i you know it was and again i probably could have role played it better. Maybe I'm being too hard on myself. Like I said, it wasn't horrible. I just didn't walk away from it feeling like I rocked it. You know, I like walking away feeling like I rocked it. I rocked it. It was great. And you don't, you're not always going to feel that way. You learn from it. So the party was then talking about taking Lintern back, taking this guard back. Um, you know, to civilization out of these caves, but they haven't really hundred percent decided what they want to do. So that's where we ended it. Seemed like a decent stopping point. They've got a, um, a guard that they freed. They've got all this XP that's going to boost them for next session. And we'll go from there. There's a chance that I'll have to be out of town next Saturday night. I'm not sure. I know we're going to go to my wife's parents 
on Sunday, get the cousins and everything together for Easter, and they do like a little Easter egg hunt and have a big big meal together. So I know we'll be there Sunday, but I don't know if, if we're going to end up going Saturday night or not yet. So there's a chance we won't be here in this next weekend. Um, but we'll see what happens either way. It was, it's, it's a good, uh, there's going to be a huge boost. So there should be some leveling up. I would think it may give me time to get another headset. I don't know how much more I can take of this one. Um, but at any rate, that's what I have for you all this week. Uh, I think it's important to reflect on your performance and what you could do differently. So lessons learned, too long, didn't listen, uh, invest in another headset, likely slow down and take your time. No matter what you're doing, it's not worth rushing. That shows in the, it shows in the outcome. It's like if you're fixing a car and you rush it, <laughs> that's not going to wind up good for you. Like so many things in life, take your time. It's better to slow down and enjoy it and do your best than to try to move too hastily. I know it's easier said than done when you're tracking a bunch of things, but especially when you're tracking a large number of things in combat, slow down, just be descriptive. Don't be in a hurry to get it done. And, uh, just always try to be cognizant of that. If you can, sometimes it's just not going to happen for you though. So, and then I need to reevaluate a couple of the a couple of the rules, tweak it a little bit, maybe. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, I hope you enjoy are enjoying these shows. I know there's some hardcore folks listening to these, and I really appreciate you. Thank you for checking it out. Don't forget, as far as James Smith goes, don't forget to check out that PayPal, even if it's just a dollar. Support his family. I know that he would be boosting others right now and letting people know about you if it was you that this had happened to. If uh, you want to contact me, there's a contact form on the Thought Eater blog, or you can message me, frothsoftfrothsof at gmail.com. I've got a $1 a month Patreon up. If you're enjoying my podcast, blog, or the psionic platypus zine, it is patreon.com forward slash thought eater. And you can support me in what I do for a dollar a month. I'm on Twitter. If you're over there, let's hook up. Frothsoft, FrothSOF on Twitter. Frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com.